Hello, it's Neil Murdoch from Crawley in West Sussex here. Hello, Nolly, answer me this. I was listening to your podcast this week and the uh, office cake debate, and uh, it brought up some issues from our own office. There's a chap in our office <clears throat> who basically, when it's someone's birthday, the tradition is to bring in cakes for everyone to eat. However, when it's his birthday, he doesn't bring in cakes because he says he's a Jehovah's Witness and doesn't believe in uh, birthday cakes or some such. However, when there are cakes available, he's the first one in munching them. So what's the politest way to tell him to go fuck himself? At the end of Dexter, will he kill all Alan, seriously, no spoilers. At the end of Breaking Bad, will Walt... Hold it there, Ollie. It's very interesting to us listeners what things in this podcast really grab your imagination and it seems that more imaginations of yours had been grabbed by last week's anonymous cupcake lady than ever before. It's gone mad on Twitter for cupcake lady. Many of you will rejoice to hear that cupcake lady has been back in touch. My God. She says, thanks for answering my cupcake dilemma. You made my day. That's all right. That's what we do here at Answer Me This. Day make. Yeah, we're the day makers. She says, you were all spot on with your comments about Office Nemesis being an absolute basket case. (laughs) What wonderful people we all are. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, let's tease the woman with troubles. Uh, I went grocery shopping today and searched and searched for the strawberry-filled cupcakes but couldn't find them. Oh, no. So this is the plan that Martin and I mooted, that you should go in with some of the strawberry-filled cupcakes Uh and say that you'd made them. Now you can't. She says, I spoke to a sales assistant, and they informed me that those particular cupcakes were a summer special and have been discontinued. Oh, dear. So I have hatched a brilliant plan. Okay. I'm going to ask Office Nemesis to bake me some strawberry swirl cupcakes for my birthday in November! Oh. Shazam! Not going to get any summer specials in November, not if she goes to every store in the land. And she's frozen them. Well, that's a good point, She might Martin. have bought a load and just stuck them in the freezer. Oh, floor yeah. in the plan. Oh, yeah. Or she might say to you, well, I thought strawberry swirl was a bit out of season, so I've made you pumpkin swirl. That's what she's going to do. She's going to say, not, not all the ingredients in this ancient recipe mm. that I work to are available in November. Fresh strawberries, are you kidding? Because it's seasonal. Yep. Yeah, that's what she'll say. Hello, it's Guy from Reading. Answer me this. Why do people think it is difficult to tie your own bow tie? It is, in fact, no harder than tying a regular tie. Why does it have this fiendish reputation as being a difficult thing to do? Hmm. That's an interesting point, actually, because I've never had occasion to sport a bow tie, and yet I have assumed, because of the propaganda, that it is a real puzzle. (laughs) Uh... Well, it's not that people think it's difficult per se, it's that they haven't been taught how to do it. Oh, so is that the thing? Because a lot of people have to wear ties as part of school uniform, they've been drilled into it in childhood, but bow ties, most schools, no. Exactly that, yeah. Right, okay. I mean, you know, I'm sure driving a bus is the same level of difficulty as riding a bike. But if you learn to do it when you're seven, easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know how to cycle. I don't know how to drive a bus. So I look at bus drivers and I think, oh, well, that would take me a week to learn how to drive that bus. Same with a bow tie. Yeah, I, I learned when I was six or seven years old mm. how to tie that school tie. Never had to do a bow tie. I also imagine that people who wear a bow tie frequently don't find it difficult to 
Taiwan. However, a lot of people only wear them on very special occasions, so they never really get the practice to be confident in their tying. Yeah, to the extent that it's actually a photo opportunity, isn't it? Classic oh, yeah. wedding shot, that, isn't it? Yeah, Green putting on yep. the bow tie. Or pre-ball or prom. I, in fact, I think when I was best man for my friend Ben's wedding, mm. uh, there was the shot of all of us, the best man and the ushers, putting on their bow ties. And I'm pretty sure it was staged... I'm trying to remember now, but I... <laughs> Most wedding photos are, aren't they? I have a feeling Ben's mum actually had to put the bow tie on for me because I didn't know what I was doing. But there was the shot of us all, you know, standing there in a row. Like opposite strippers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Very much so. And if you'd seen the state of us, you'd be glad that we were the opposite. I've noticed an unwelcome new trend in tattoos of the tattooed bow tie. Oh. That is one that is very temporary. What if you're not going to a formal occasion? This is the thing. Can't take it off. Let's go here. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Why is it that bounty bars come in two pieces when Mars and Snickers and so on don't? I thought it might be to encourage you to eat one and save the other for later. But it can't be that, because I've just eaten four. Also, it's very out of character for companies to discourage you from eating loads of it. Well, unless, of course, that product is aimed at women. <gasps> oh! Uh, which I imagine is the case with Bounty, because uh, yeah. it is horrible, isn't it? It does taste of coconut shampoo. I'm a woman and find it horrible, I but like I hate a, coconut. I like a Bounty bar. Well, you're Do a woman. You? You're yeah. quite feminine in many ways. What I was wondering is whether it's because a Bounty bar would be structurally unsound if it all came in one piece, because... You know, you don't have a soft. biscuit. Yeah. Yeah, it's soft, it's quite heavy, it's going to snap in half. That's actually a very good alternative explanation. I haven't thought about that. But it's not the one, that. right? I'm well, wrong. no, I don't, but I don't know. But from what I've read, my speculation is it, it seems very much aimed at women right from the beginning. Mm. And although it was created in the 1950s, where women on diets wasn't quite such a fad as it is now, obviously, nonetheless, I think women never wanted to be marketed to that they would gorge down a whole chocolate bar that they do something a bit okay. more dainty and refined so is the bounty bar enacting the adage uh, of matt lucas it's half as big so you can eat twice as much <laughs> it's sort of that it's the equivalent of like the galaxy ads now where okay you've got a woman alone in a bath or whatever and rubbing you, herself you know, <laughs> with a slab of chocolate yeah. you know in reality yeah she's gonna absolutely fill every orifice with galaxy as Ooh. soon as the camera turns off but in the shot you see she just takes one little nibble off the side doesn't she always oh, a delicious treat or a naughty treat or I just only a corner bought, only bought the big bar because it was better value not because I'm a greedy person it's easier to grip isn't it um, so not with tiny woman's hands <laughs> so I think it might be that I think it might be woman's chocolate bar buy one mm. and save it over um, you know get twice the value um, so I think that's partly it but I, I like your s- structural suggestion as well and in fact um, Mars tried to register with the trademark office of the European Union they tried to patent uh, the shape of a bounty bar oh come on I know um, they, they, I mean, I was, I had to look this up to think what is distinctive about the shape of a bounty bar. As what far as is? I know, it's just a chocolate bar in two bits, right? It's like a couple of turds in a wrapper, doesn't it? Um, apparently, it's got um, three chevrons on the top of each bar. Wow! And that, they tried and to register the chocolate, distinctive. The chocolate, molten chocolate, sort of folded over. Yeah. Would that mean that motorways can no longer have three chevrons? <laughs> If they'd won, Mars would have rolled back years of road safety. The, uh, <laughs> the ruling said the allegedly distinctive character, the allegedly distinctive characteristics, namely the rounded ends of the bar and the three arrows or chevrons on top of it, cannot be sufficiently distinguished from other shapes commonly used for chocolate bars. Ah, uh-huh, in your face! I wouldn't want to get bounty in my face. Be horrible. Yeah, I know. Maybe that is why it comes in two parts because uh, you'll probably have realised you hate it before the end of the first one, and then you can give the other one away to a new victim. I'll have it. Uh, here's another question of food it's from sam who says helen answer me this brie or camembert uh before we get to the subclause of the question by the way if that was the question brie or camembert what would you say brie 
Martin? Brie. Yeah, I'd say Brie too. Really good Brie at our local cheese shop, Runny. Three cheers for Brie. Mm. Uh, Brie cheers. But but that's not the whole question. Uh, The whole question is, Brie or Camembert, what the hell is the difference? Not which do you prefer, what's the difference? That's a good question because they do have very similar manufacturing processes and the taste is usually the same, although apparently a very good Camembert is a bit stronger than a Brie. I think Camembert's stronger as well. I think Camembert's Cam- 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 more farmy. Brie's have got a more of a creaminess to it. Okay. Well, Camembert's a bit runnier, I would say. The differences are two. One is region. Uh, Brie is from Ile de France and uh, Camembert's from Normandy. But the main difference is that Camembert is small. It's usually four and a half inches in diameter, whereas Brie is usually made in wheels that are nine to 17 inches across. Yeah, it can be huge. So right? maybe Camembert is stronger and runnier because smaller cheeses are going to ripen quicker. Lots of surface area to volume ratio. I don't know about Camembert. I think it's one of those cheeses where it, it just it sort of loses for me. You get all the stinkiness with none of the pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> like an evening with Martin. What? What? <laughs> if you got a question, got a question, email your question, email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. It's great. Here's a question from Lorna, who says, Everyone knows the typical image of an alien, but Ollie, answer me this. How did it come to be so? It, by typical image of an alien, I can think of a few, because in sci-fi films, the alien invented for the film Alien is now very common amongst other films that feature an alien, right? Like a big, toothy, slimy head, really tall body, scary teeth. Taller than Sigourney Weaver. Who's very tall. Yeah, that's but right. But on the other hand, then you've got the little greys with the sort of egg-shaped head and the big eyes and the tiny bodies who yes, are shorter the, than Sigourney Weaver. Face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to, I'm gonna, for the sake of argument, suggest she means the greys because those are the ones that are more easily mimicked on car stickers and stuff. Well, I, I don't see that there's a huge amount of difference. I know that you... One you... is slimy and one is a grey, Ollie. Greys don't have scary teeth. I know the grey ones are a little bit more pathetic, aren't they? They're a little bit more in need of our help unless they're en masse. Yeah. Um, whereas the big green ones you would run away from. Uh, they're not even that green, are they? They're more kind of brownish maybe khaki but they're not little green men are they it's a very specific uh, designer that's H.R. Geiger's conception I think there's a lot more diverse aliens but they're basically humanoid aren't they most aliens this is the thing I don't think they're all that different I mean I I think the aliens in Alien are more based on reptiles and the aliens the grey ones that you're describing they're more like fetuses exactly yes but they're all recognisable traits aren't they from the animal kingdom they all represent in some way a reptile or a crustacean or an insect or a mammal that's why it makes me so frustrated when I see films that star aliens I just lose interest as soon as I can see it because I think oh that is familiar given that you can invent whatever you want why did you go for that well because actually human imagination only stretches so far mm. like if you if, for a start it's more relatable isn't it to an audience if they can identify roughly that where the alien's brain would be for example if it has no brain it's harder to feel scared of it unless it's a gas in which case that's still a relatable thing whereas the chances are aliens who have managed to get to planet earth because mm. that's where most of these things are set uh, are going <laughs> to be of course because we're the most important um, <laughs> and new york is the most important that's right or, well or the white house because, of course, mm. you know, trip to see the well, president, that would be the most important thing for any visiting No, you alien. don't set it in the White House. You just blow it up and then mm. you go back to New York and finish <laughs> your business. And maybe you knock out Los Angeles yeah. for fun. Yeah. You don't pop by Derby on the way. <laughs> it makes sense that for an alien to be intelligent enough to have made that journey over here, 
when people start thinking what would a being that intelligent look like they do start me, thinking it would look like me well, bigger but we are king of the food chain here aren't we we are here but it doesn't mean that we're the most intelligent design there is yes but you take the principles of evolution that get us to where we are and you say okay well if you put evolution on a different planet you'd probably still end up with something I mean this is the thinking I don't necessarily agree with it mm. you'd end up with something similar you'd end up with space for some sort of brain you'd, you'd end up with some sort of ability to use tools so then you end up with something a bit like hands you know it's yeah, hard but- for us to imagine something that doesn't have that at all the thing about a humanoid alien is it allows relatability. You can understand uh, a gesture of threat. And if you, if you, like in Star Trek, you're trying to have sympathetic aliens, you can see like friendliness and communication with them. It's, yeah. ju- it's just a, a way, because if you take away that physical communication, it makes it very, very hard to write a character which is an alien. It's also, um, it's also the fantasy, isn't it, of uh, sex with an alien, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> which, right, but you could still have an alien that has a vagina, but it doesn't have to have a humanoid face. Yeah, but again, I'm not sure that's so horny for the 14-year-old boys as, for example, the miniseries V. I think yeah. if, if the Ooh, woman she's in fit, v, isn't she? rather than being Brody's wife off Homeland, mm. was just a big just furry alien with a vagina. <laughs> I, I like in the Starship Troopers. Yeah. It, would be, it, would be, it would be less popular as a fantasy, you but, see. But, I mean, that's, that's film aliens, but there is also this problem in, in the general conception of life that is not on Earth. And it's not something that I have any particular interest in or, or that I fantasise about. But when they say things like, oh, there couldn't possibly be life on that planet because there's no water and the atmosphere is made of sulphur. I was yeah, like, well, yeah, well, us. we would have trouble, yeah. yes, breathing sulphur. But yeah. <laughs> if your whole planet was made of sulphur, you'd probably adapt to be pretty sulphur-friendly, wouldn't yes. you? Yeah, I think that's well, right. Well, there's thermophilic bacteria that occur around um, underwater volcanoes and they realise that they can exist in very, very high temperatures and use a slightly different metabolism. That, that really surprised biologists when they found those, mm. didn't they? I think the traditional, if you like, if we can call it that, shape of aliens that we all roughly know, um, like you say, a sort of egg-shaped face, basically. Yeah. Um, that does seem to be a fairly recent thing. I know that in the uh, fourth Indiana Jones film, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Bullshit, uh, <laughs> they did have scenes where there appeared to be cave paintings showing aliens oh, to justify the denouement, which made absolutely no sense at all. Or to justify the whole film Prometheus, which made no sense at all. Yeah. I think, actually... It probably wasn't until really the invention of modern science fiction, was it, in the Victorian age? Mm. It wasn't really until then that people started thinking like this at all. Because I guess everything on Earth was such a scientific mystery that you didn't need to start worrying about what was happening on other planets. You didn't know whether the moon was inhabited. So to start thinking about what was happening in other solar systems and what other completely Mm. different beings in in different natural orders would look like just actually wasn't even really a thing. I wonder if it's even possible to know who first came up with the kind of uh, greys shape anyway, whether it was a popular illustration of a very old fanciful alien story or whether someone did one of those mock photos and they thought well you can probably get a little child to look like one of these and get it to move around that will freak people out well i think ideas with this sort of thing inspire each other don't they and actually we're probably still if you think about it in the midst of this development process happening because of so many of our films being about aliens and sci-fi and stuff that actually like I say, if it's only been around for the last 100, 150 years, really, yeah. then actually say, oh, this, this great tradition of aliens and how they look. Well, we're still, we're still birthing that now. Like the fact that there's a few that look kind of similar, that's not really a surprise because people, artists, feed off each other, don't they? But actually, yes, but if might, you... the aliens in popular imagination might look different in 100 years as well. Well, one would hope because you saying, oh, 150 years of development is quite quick. Think how much fashion has changed in 150 years. Yeah. What women wear now particularly is unrecognisable for what a woman 150 years ago would have worn. That's true, but most of us see women every day, whereas not aliens. Well, some people see those every day. Yes. 
but uh, they're troubled. I think most of those are the people who don't see women every day. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, we would just like to take this opportunity to thank Squarespace.com who have brought this episode of Answer Me This to you. That's right. And uh, if you don't know what Squarespace is... Here is a song explaining their delicious service. Do you remember how websites used to be? Comic songs and backgrounds that look like trees. Flash intros, links to GeoCities. But now, thanks to Squarespace, your site needn't be crappy. They make great design easy, so everyone's happy. And on desktop, phones and tablets, your site looks well snappy. So there you go. That's uh, pretty much everything you need to know about Squarespace.com. Yes, right there. they have many templates for making your website look exquisite. It's very simple to use. There is customer service on the phone 24-7. And best of all, you can do a two-week free trial. And then if you want to buy the Squarespace service, then in order to get 10% off, you just need to enter the code AMT9, so, as in answer me this nine. So go for it. You have nothing to lose. You start your trial and, and have a play. See what uh, you think. Have a play. Just have a play. Where's the harm? Unless you set up a website like the one in this question from Anonymous, <laughs> who says, my dad has an account on dogging.co.uk. <laughs> it is not very well designed, I have to say. I'm sure, I'm sure that was set up with a rival platform. Which is a website where you can hook up with other adults. No mm. one in my family knows about this except me. So Ollie, answer me this. Do I just ignore this and carry on with normal life? Yes. Or should I tell someone like my mum? No. I've also been aware of emails my dad has been receiving, like, we should meet up. I admit, because you're looking, aren't you? Because yeah. you're looking through his inbox. Well, Anon admits this whole thing was a result of me being nosy. Yeah. But it would be really difficult to tell someone. Yeah, so don't. It's obviously not good if your dad is cheating, if indeed that is what's happening. But you don't know that that's what's happening because this email was not designed for you to see. Some people might just be enacting various fantasies but not going through with them. Exactly. As, as a way to avoid going through with them. Exactly, because I imagine that quite a powerful fantasy is setting up a hookup and then not actually following through with it. But thinking in your brain, oh, I'm going to well, go I and could. this. But yeah. I'm choosing the morally right thing by not doing this to my wife in the, secret. Exactly. But this woman is ready to do it with me. Or man. Or group of people in a car park. Well, this is the other thing. So dogging, uh, I know that there's lots... It, it's getting supplied, doesn't it, as a brushstroke term to lots of different sexual practices now. It, it's alfresco in cars. It, I think now it just sort of means like dirty English people yeah, <laughs> having in, sex. In rural car anywhere. parks. I think it's having sex anywhere that somebody who is a footballer that gets caught by a tabloid can watch you doing it. Yeah. But the point is, in its initial, in its pure form... It's uh, pure primal form. The golden age of dogging. That's right, yeah. Dogging rose to prominence as it essentially being watching other people having sex, right? Yeah. From your car. Or being that person having the sex. Well, exactly. So mm. therefore, Anonymous, is it not entirely possible, I put it to you in Exhibit A, that your mother might in fact be part of this scheme as well? <gasps> You're and ruining Anonymous's life, taking down both parents. So what you certainly don't want to do is be raising this to your mum as if I've got some gossip on dad. Because you're either then going to have to have a conversation <laughs> about her dogging with her, or <laughs> you're going to ruin her dogging, or you're going to ruin their relationship. None of those outcomes is desirable. I know it's very difficult to have to imagine that your parent has any kind of sexual forces left in them mm. uh, after the ones that created you. But <laughs> if this is really troubling you, the person to talk to about it is your dad, who may bullshit you and say, oh, no, I wasn't doing anything. But at least then you've said, I know this. And if it's a bad thing that you're doing that is going to harm your relationship, then uh, please sort it out yourself. I think it's highly context-dependent. I, uh, I know of somebody who found out that their father had a separate family. Yeah. 
through the power of the internet. Now, it, it depends on a, on a lot of factors. If this is a marriage which is on the rocks and there's reasons to suspect this is a symptom of a much deeper malaise, then I think you probably should tell your mum. If, on the other hand, it is absolutely out of character and asymptomatic and a very happy marriage, then I would agree with Ollie. Ooh, but are you in a position to make that call? If you're in this family, you, you know, you, you, you must get a sense of the dynamic and, and, and whether they're happy together. Here's a question from Derry in Reading who says, In our fortnightly citizenship lesson at school, we had to make paper hats and decorate them. That's going to teach you how elections work, isn't it? Citizenship. Yeah. I thought citizenship was supposed to be useful things, like how to be a functional member of society, well, not how to make a hat. Well, there's a lot of youth unemployment these days, Helen. If you've got a, a yes. skill you can do with your hands, that's virtually an apprenticeship, isn't yes, it? Yes, there is a lot of youth unemployment, but there's also not that much hat wearing, generally. <laughs> um, I made a Robin Hood-style hat, says Derry. That's sort of like a an informal Napoleon hat, isn't it? Usually greener. But two corners, not three. Yeah. Mm. My teacher presented me with a packet of 40 coloured feathers and said I could stick on a feather for the authentic Robin Hood look. Authentic, being used loosely. Yeah, I think you'll find the definitive Robin Hood, Kevin Costner, does not wear a hat at all. No. He's got too beautiful hair, hasn't he? Has he? Yeah. I I don't think of him as a beautiful haired man. Neither do I, but I I think... Does he have long hair in that film? Long blonde locks. I mean, the marketeers of that film would want you to say he had beautiful hair. It was certainly flowing. And although in real life you could tell because he had that sort of face, Kevin Costner would have had a bald spot, his Robin Hood (laughs) definitely didn't. Mm. So this got me thinking, says Derry. Helen, answer me this. Where do commercial feathers come from? Uh, Is there perhaps a special farm where feathers are plucked from birds with the ability to quickly regrow their plumage. What a fanciful idea. Yeah, I do rather suspect it's just from dead birds, isn't it? They're killed for something else, am I well, right? Well, yes, okay. A lot of feathers are the byproduct of the poultry for eating industry. Yeah. But there are some birds, like some types of geese or ducks, you can pluck their big feathers a few times before you kill them. They're really okay. And are they actually bred for the feathers or are they still there really I for think, the meat industry? I think all of the feathers are a byproduct. Yes, fair enough. Mm. So a lot of people would disapprove of using any feathers apart from ones you'd found that had been naturally shed by a bird. But mm-hmm. in reality, if you're going to dress up in fancy dress and you go to your local party shop, or indeed you're a citizenship lesson teacher... Uh, who has to kit up cheaply for a fortnightly lesson, you're likely to be going to a source where you've not been acting in such an ethical fashion, aren't you? I'd imagine that if you're getting feathers that have been dyed many different colours for crafting, they probably have been scalded off a chicken. Yeah. But better to use the feathers, isn't it, than kill the bird, eat the meat and not use the feathers, I suppose. Yes, and and some of the feathers come off uh, birds that have been raised to lay eggs, and so they're around for long enough for you to gather their feathers many times. It's not like they're going to need them in that battery farm. I wonder if it's coincidence that uh, feathers rose in popularity as a fashion item at roughly the same time that we saw the quill, uh, very much losing out its market share Mm. on the writing industry. Yeah. Because you would have had a lot of of quill feathers knocking about, wouldn't you? It suddenly had to be repurposed into... I wonder if even Robin Hood only got his feather at the point where they had to start selling costumes with feathers in. My brother got a prize at school, which was a quill made out of gold. And that is just annoying, isn't it? Because it's something that has no sentimental value to him. It has no use. It has no value of beauty because it's just a quill pen made of gold. Mm. 
and yet it's quite an expensive thing. So melted down, it would have been better than the object, but you can't melt it down because it's a school prize. Yeah, I guess with school prizes, though, you've got a set budget, haven't you? They probably had 30 quid. They thought, what can we dip in gold? What do schoolboys love? Quills? <laughs> Great. This will be the new FA Cup. But what, would he have liked a Sabutio football player dipped in gold more? He would more? have more, yeah, yeah. that would have been better. I think yeah. a dog turd dipped in gold more. <laughs> At least that would have been funny. Hello. I'm the monk out of 90s band Enigma. Helen, answer me this. What was that all about? Here's a question from Beth from Leighton Buzzard who says... I'm pregnant with my first child and at five days overdue could go into labour at any point. If I don't interrupt, how much of that song are you going to do? Beth continues. I downloaded your holiday album weeks ago and plan to listen to it during childbirth. Well, if you can get your childbirth done within an hour then well done. Uh, in the hope that this will provide some amusing distraction from the pain. Or provide a different sort of pain. I don't mean to be less than positive, but I'm beginning to wonder, says Beth, whether the album alone will be enough. No, do you think so? <laughs> it's the tool that women have been waiting for since the dawn of time to distract them from the agonies of Eve. But, Beth, by all means, please do give it a go, but mm. please don't rate the album on iTunes on that basis. Mm-hmm. It didn't work as an epidural one star. That's ah. not fair. Ah. Um, so, Helen, answer me this. Uh, what would you do to prepare for a scary, agonising and majorly life-changing event that could happen to you at any point within a five-week window? Uh, unfortunately, running away is not an option. In your condition? No. Uh, well, I suppose there's no way that you can prepare for childbirth because I'm given to understand by everybody that's ever done it that you can neither prepare for parenthood or labour. And so I suppose reconciling yourself to that fact is a useful step for actually being prepared. Because I think if you have a rigid idea of what either of those things are going to be like, then you're going to be shocked maybe disappointed you're saying that like that's words of comfort though Helen a lot of people would be plunged into existential crisis by that just try and keep the panic down and maybe (laughs) distraction is the best way I've got two friends who are due to give birth in the next couple of weeks and they seem to be distracting themselves by doing things that I think will get more difficult once there's a baby like going to the cinema and going to the theatre yeah, but no one wants to break their water in a theatre, do they? You, you probably won't have given birth by the time the curtain falls. And make sure you sit in an exit, obviously. If that happened to you, though, would you flamboyantly go, Oh my God, my water's have broken in the middle of the theatre because it's your only opportunity to do it and everyone would understand? Well, I, Or would you try and be really discreet? I have no first-hand experience, but I am led to understand that the actual breaking of the water is not how not television and film portray no. it and... It can happen way before you start actual labour or it can happen during labour and you barely even notice it often, but it's not this kind of sudden seismic start in yeah, most yeah. cases, I gather. The flip side of accepting what you were saying that you will never be able to prepare for it really mm. is that you embrace the fact that you won't be able to prepare for it and just try and really really enjoy the fact that you haven't got a baby at the moment. Oh yeah, now it's time to go out drinking, <laughs> staying up late. Yeah. I think also lining up a lot of box sets that you can watch in the middle of the night while the baby is feeding. 
that's a that's an idea like think oh what do i really want to watch and make sure it's ready because when you're tired and bleary you might not want to have to shuffle around looking for it yeah i mean actually looking at purely from a box set point of view mm. having a baby is great i look at every life event <laughs> what's the best box set to distract myself from this life event but having a baby's great because the baby's not really conscious of the swearing and the sex and the violence at Yet. first no so you've got at least a year there where you don't need to worry about psychologically impacting it and have yeah. it clung onto your breast and be watching the most vivid hbo show you're absolutely fine yeah, good plan. So get them in. Get the grisly stuff in that you're not going to be able to watch yeah. once, they're, once they're sort of more conscious. True Blood, for instance. Yeah, True Blood. <laughs> I don't know if you want something biting your nipple whilst you're watching True oh, Blood. good point. Yeah. Mm. Well, with that, we have reached the end of this week's episode of Answer Me This. And uh, if you would like to contribute to the show in future weeks, then uh, all the details about how you can send us a question can be found on our website. AnswerMeThisPodcast.com And listeners, we will be taking next week off like a little half term in this semester of Answer Me This, but you can keep yourself amused by perusing our archive at AnswerMeThisPodcast.com slash classic or our albums at slash albums. There's a lot there to keep you busy. Plenty. Uh, And if you're asking why are we taking this week off, what exciting thing are you doing? I refer you to the early work of Billy Piper. It's just because we want to. (laughs) So we'll be back in two weeks. Please join us then. Bye! Bye!